Well, for the rest of our time this evening, let us return to that chapter we read earlier, Acts chapter 6. The verses that I wish to concentrate tonight with you are verses 1 to 7 of Acts chapter 6. I'm not going to highlight one particular verse. Instead, we would look at these seven verses. And there are four things, four headings that I wish to highlight with you uh, this evening for your edification. The title I would like to give is Get Your Priorities Right. Get Your Priorities Right. And we seek the Lord's blessing as we would like to meditate upon these words that we find in the early part of the early Christian church. We find here in verse 1, for instance, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. This is the first time that the word disciple is used for a Christian. There are different ways and different words used to describe what a Christian is. But this is one, and this is the first time it's used in the book of Acts. A Christian is a disciple. He is a, a learner, and he sits really at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's always learning, as we will see as we go through this sermon this evening. But if you are a Christian, you are a disciple. You are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are to learn from him. Before we get to the meat of our sermon, we would notice that the devil has been active in the early church. He couldn't stop the growth. The, gro the church grew exceedingly much in a short space of time. 3,000 were added at the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Then the number rose to 5,000, and that was only men. And therefore we could assume that it was many thousands more than that. And the first attempt that the, the, that the devil sought to hamper and, or to destroy the church was to send persecution. And we noticed that on a couple of occasions. But we know that the church rose to the persecution. It didn't stop them. Instead, they continued to preach uh, Jesus and him crucified, Jesus and the resurrection. So persecution didn't work. And then uh, latterly, we noticed that he tried something else because the devil is always active. And there's nothing that he hates more than to see a church being faithful and growing and having an impact in the community. What did he do? Well, he, he infiltrated the church. Sin was in the church. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost. And as a result, they were struck down dead, both of them, hours apart, 
Here God was making an example of them. They were part of the church, and when you're part of the church, you're under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're, you are to act accordingly. And their action was not what it should be, and God severely judged them for it. But that was the devil. He was active. He couldn't have any effect through the persecution. Then he sought to get into the church and cause sin to have a, a sway in the church. And when sin begins to move in the church, the church will lose its glory. It will lose its power. It will lose its thrust. But the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with that issue. But here, friends, we have uh, something else that the devil does, and it's very deceptive, and it's something that's really important to every single one of us in the church. What is his, what is his weapon here? What is he doing here? It is distraction. That's what it is. This is what this incident here is all about. The devil wants people to be distracted. He wants the apostles to be distracted. He wants the Christians to be distracted. He wants the church to be distracted from its mission, to get involved in something else. And this is vitally important for us today, because if we are a Christian church and we seek to be if we are truly a church and we want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, we will know something of his activity. Oh, we, re we, we realize that there, there are multitude of churches, and who are we that the devil should look upon us? But he does. He does. Because the devil is zealous for his cause. And if we seek to be zealous for Christ, he will be correspondingly zealous for his cause. And therefore, we are to be aware of his wiles and schemes and devices. Well, let us then look at these verses. Four things I wish to highlight. First of all, what have we got here? We've got the problem. Verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. A real problem, not an imaginary problem. There was a real concern. In the Bible, Old Testament times and New Testament times, the people were to be careful about widows and how they were treated. Of course, many years ago, there was no state system to support those in need. And therefore, it usually fell to the family or to the church to care for the widows. They were poor individuals. They relied on people to help them. And it does seem that in the course of time, when the number of the disciples grew, that there was a problem. And uh, we would notice here that Luke is very open and very honest. He has an, 
other occasions as we've gone through the book of Acts, he has recorded the success of the church and how the Lord added daily such as should be saved. Everything was rosy. And we have noticed on one or two occasions that the people were united. There was great harmony amongst the people. Everything was going well. But here we notice, no, there's a problem. Now, some writers might not even have mentioned it, but Luke does. Luke wants us to see everything. And this is a very indirect evidence to support the fact that the Word of God is indeed the Word of God. It's not the Word of man. If this was to be left to men who wanted to promote the church, they would never write something like this in it. They would gloss over it, but not the Holy Spirit. He would have us to know that there were problems in the early church. And indeed, friends, we have to acknowledge that there will be problems in every church. In every church, every congregation, every denomination will have its difficulties. Why? Well, at best, we are people who have been saved by grace, and we're all a work in progress. We are far from perfect, and we will bring our problems with us, and they will manifest themselves on occasions. So every denomination, every congregation will have its problems. But you know, friends, what it is, is how we deal with these problems. And this is what we find here. They identified the problem. We are told there was a, a, arose a murmuring of the Grecians. It does seem as if the problem was not directly spoken to the apostles. There was a grumbling. There was things under cover as there were. It wasn't really brought out into the open, but somehow the, the apostles got ear of the problem. And what was the problem? Well, it was a very practical problem. At this time, the church was well endowed. There were people who were selling property, and they laid the money and the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And this money was used to feed those who were poor in their community. Now, it does seem that the Grecians, who are the Grecians, for instance? Well, they are the Greek-speaking Jews, and their widows were not being treated as well as the Hebrews. Who were the Hebrews? Well, the Hebrews were Hebrew-speaking Jews. And it does seem that one group was being favored over against another. Again, this highlights the thing that happens in churches and in congregations. Here we have two, in some respects, two distinct groups. We have those who are Greek-speaking, and they might belong to the dispersion when the Jews were dispersed from Jerusalem, and they came back at the time of the Pentecost, and maybe they remained as a result of hearing the gospel. But they have been influenced by the Greek culture and they bring the Greek language with them. And then we have the Hebrews. They are the ones who maybe have been in Jerusalem all their lives, and they are shaped and colored by the, the Hebrew culture. And therefore we have two groups. Here we have them in the church, 
and they have their differences, and for a certain period of time, what's happening? Well, everything's going all right until this problem arises. And then you see there's a division. There is, there is the possibility of a formation of a division among the congregation between uh, the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. That's the problem. It's a real problem. It has to be dealt with. As every problem that comes to a congregation, it has to be dealt with. Well, <clears throat> having highlighted the problem, we do now want to look at the solution. And we find this really from verses 2 to 6. Then the twelve, that's the apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Stop, think, here. Here is something that's very instructive. Here is something that is eye-opening. Who were the apostles? The apostles were the ones who had been with the Lord Jesus Christ for his for his three-year ministry. They had been with him. They followed him. They had heard him speak. They had seen all his miracles. They were, they were first-hand witnesses of his ministry. They saw him being crucified. They saw him alive. They saw him at the, after the resurrection. They had wonderful knowledge. They were inspired men. They were the very foundational people of the church. They had a problem. What did they do? Did they say, well, we'll sort this out? Did they go in with a shoot now and ask questions attitude later? No. These men who had their, their commission directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, who were the very foundation stones of the church, what did they do? They gathered the disciples together. I would be inclined to think what we're talking here about is a representative selection of the disciples. I don't believe all the disciples came together, but certainly a large representative group of the disciples came together, and the problem was aired there. And the apostles brought their solution to it. They said, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. It's not good. It's not pleasing. It could also be translated. It is not pleasing that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Why? Because they had that commission to go forth and to preach the gospel. And they were not going to be distracted. They could see the danger. They could see that if they were to devote themselves to this task, they would not be able, therefore, to engage in prayer and in the proclamation of the word of God. And they recognized this was their commission. This is what Jesus Christ had chosen them to and had commissioned them unto. And they were not going to be distracted. And friends, this indeed was a real problem and it had to be dealt with. They were not dismissing the problem. 
but they were simply saying, well, it's not for us. And also, they were not dismissing the people who would take over the responsibility. They were not saying, for instance, well, we have a spiritual ministry, and it's far more important than a practical ministry. That's not what they're saying at all. They are simply saying, it's not our role. It's to be given to someone else. It's a real problem, and it must be dealt with, but we are not the ones to do it. They got their priorities right. Second Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 4, the Apostle Paul is speaking to young Timothy. He's in Ephesus. He's been left there to deal with various problems in that church. And as we looked at that book, we noticed he tended to be a wee bit timid. And Paul was encouraging him and instructing him and telling him how he's to behave and how he's to, he is to handle the problems in Ephesus. And one of the things that he says to him is that he must be fixed and focused upon the great task that lies before him. He is a pastor and a teacher and a preacher. And he says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Timothy, you are to realize your calling. You are to realize the task before you. You're not to entangle yourself in the affairs of this world, no matter how good they might be, no matter how noble they might be, no matter how much they need to be done. You are not the one to do it. Instead, someone else is to do it. And friends, that is what all of us must adopt. That is what the minister must adopt. The minister must not get involved in administration. He must not be immersed in, in committee work. He must be one who is set apart that he might devote himself to prayer and to the preaching of God's word and to tending to the flock that's before him. Now, this does not just apply to gospel ministers. It also applies to office bearers, and it applies to private Christians. You must get your priorities correct. You must get them right. You must not get involved in things that are not profitable, that you are not called unto do. And further, friends, we would broaden this. When we say that get your priorities right, this is something that applies to everyone, to the unbeliever who's sitting on the fence, if we can use that expression, however unbiblical it is, to the unbeliever. It's time that you got your priorities right. It's time that you sought the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. We meditated upon that during a prayer meeting night once, but not that long ago. But it's true and relevant to us. Friends, are we still lost? Are we still perishing? Are we still without Christ, without hope in this world? Friends, then your first priority is to get Christ. 
Too many people are trying to live like Christians without being Christians. Too many people are trying to order their lives and get themselves right before they can embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the wrong way. We are to come to Christ as we are. Get your priorities right. You'll never be a Christian until you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, get rid of this sin, get rid of that sin, and then come to me. He says, come to me now, as you are. Get your priorities right, unbeliever. And it's exactly the same for the private Christian, if I may use that expression. Most of us here in this congregation this evening would describe ourselves as private Christians. Well, you are to take care of your own soul. The minister will be responsible for your soul, that's true. Be not many masters, James tells us in James chapter 3, and he's talking there about preachers. Don't be a preacher if you can avoid it. But although I will be responsible for the souls that I preach to, and those who are, who are under my pastoral care, I will give account of these souls, and if they perish, God will ask me why. But ultimately, friends, you are responsible for your own souls. You will be held account for what you've done with Jesus Christ and how you've made progress or not in the gospel. I will give account, you will give account, and you must get your priorities right. You must not be distracted. You are to take up that cross and follow Jesus Christ. You, as we say, you are to war a good warfare. You are to lay hold on eternal life. And you must not get bogged down in, in secondary things good as they are in of themselves. And this is why this is so deceiving. This was a good cause. Who wants the widows to suffer? No one wants the widows to suffer, especially when we have the resources to deal with it. But it does seem it was happening. And word came to the apostles. What were they going to do? Well, Mercifully, they recognized their calling. And they delegated others. What did they say? Brethren, look ye out, verse 3, among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business. This is a real problem. We recognize it. We must deal with it. How are we going to deal with it? We're going to delegate it. We're going to get others. And these people, 
Seven men of honest report. They must be honest above all things. They're going to be handling money. They must be impeccable. Not only that, they must be full of the Holy Ghost. They must be spiritual. And here, friends, we see that the apostles, they were spiritual. And although they might be regarded as being involved in a spiritual ministry of prayer and preaching, nevertheless, they recognized that these men who were going to take over this task, that they too must be men of honest report, and they must be full of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because they're going to be officers in the church. And they are going to be ones who will need the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable them to carry out their task. And therefore, we recognize that the apostles, they had their calling. And these men, they were going to have their calling. And it was a spiritual work also, although we might regard it as a practical work. Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom. This is what happened. And the same pleased the whole multitude. They recognize here, here is wisdom. Here is indeed, this, this, is, this is what we'll do. This, is, this will sort the problem out. And they chose Stephen, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicod, and Timon and Parmenenus, and Nicholas. Now, the, we believe that these were all Greek names, and the likelihood is that they were all Greek-speaking Christians. We can't be certain, but the likelihood is that from the grieving party were chosen seven men who would deal with the problem. You can see the wisdom in that. The grieving party bring a complaint by murmuring against the Hebrews. The people decide, well, we'll take seven men from the Greek-speaking Jew, Greek Jews and we'll appoint them to this task. You can see instantly there, friends, how this would heal any division that may have come about. You can see the wisdom in it, the harmony that this would have brought when they would choose people from the offending party to come and deal with the problem. They presented them to the apostles, and they prayed over them and laid their hands upon them, and appointed them. That was the solution. We do believe they were led by the Holy Spirit, and by their actions, they certainly diverted a split. And by their actions, friends, it could well be that they saved the church from a very, very difficult period. Because had the disciples, or the apostles, had they continued to look after this work, who could have told what the outcome would have been? 
Well, thirdly, the principle. We only will spend a few moments on this, but the principle that we're to derive from this is that there is a part for everyone to play in the congregation. The apostles were the preachers. Here were others who were going to serve. They may well be the forerunners of the the office bearers called deacons. We can't be certain. That name is not used here. But the Greek word diakonos is used. And it may well be that this was a pattern for the office of the deacon that would emerge later on. But this is the principle. The principle is that the leaders, the apostles, they can't do everything. They have their role. They have their mission. They have their task that has been assigned to them. And they cannot do everything. And it's the same in a Christian congregation. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. The minister has his role. The office bearers have their role. The private Christian, they have their role also. No one is redundant in the Christian church. That's the principle. And this is what we find here. These men, after they had been chosen, were presented to the, the apostles, and they prayed over them and set them out onto their work. And finally and fourthly, we would notice the result. Verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. If they did not choose the seven, would we have verse 7 in our text? It was after this, it was after that this uh, possible division was healed and the matter was properly addressed that we, what we find, and the word of God increased. It continued to increase. The disciples or the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and to the preaching of God's word. And as a result, God added to their number such as should be saved. In Jerusalem and what we notice here, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. It was even making inroads in amongst the religious community. And if you have been following the book of Acts, you will notice that it was the Sadducees who were most against the early church. And it's from the, the Sadducees that the priests came. But here, what do we find? The word of God increased. a very pivotal time for the church. It was, in some sense, on a crossroads. And by their actions, by getting their priorities right, the church continued to grow. 
And friends, it is true for a congregation, and also it is true for every individual. When we get our priorities right, then we can expect to grow. We can expect to grow as a congregation. You can expect to grow as an individual, as your own Christian life will develop and grow when you get your priorities right. And what are our priorities? Our priorities, first and foremost, are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to recognize that we belong unto him. Ye have been bought with a price, the Bible says, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You belong to another master. You're under the rule of another king. It's King Jesus. You owe him your life. And therefore, you are to get your priorities in order. You are to put him first. Does he not say something like, if you don't hate your mother and father? Now, he's not talking about hating mother and father. That would be a contradiction. We are to honor our parents. We are to love our parents. What's he saying then? Well, what he's saying is quite clear. As far as human relationships are concerned, every human relationship is to be subordinate to the relationship between Christ and his people. Christ is to be upon the throne of your heart. He is the one you serve. And if you truly serve the Lord Jesus Christ, as you should, you will love your wife, you will love your husband, you will love your sons and daughters and your parents. But it must be Christ and Christ first. We have to get our priorities right. Every one of us has to look at our own lives what are we getting involved in? What's taking our time? How much time do we give to the worship of God? How much time do we give to reading God's Word by ourselves? How much time do we give to prayer? How much time do we give to fellowship? All of these things we have to put in the melting pot, we have to consider them. We have to get our priorities right. We must not fall into the trap that this world will lay for us of being distracted by being taken aside, involved in things that are not wrong, but not appropriate for you. This is the issue they faced. Who would want to neglect the widows? None of them would. But it wasn't up to the apostles. It was for others. And this is something we must take with us. Get your priorities right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. And may God be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray together.